0: Welcome to the Collecting Confidence podcast, where we'll explore confidence, what it is, why we need it, how we get it, and how we lose it. I'm John Barrett. Thank you for joining me on Collecting Confidence. This is John Barrett, and today we're going to be talking with David Russell, who is the president of the SAC Improv theater down in Florida, and Dave's going to talk to us a little bit about improv. And I want to talk a little bit about my impression of improv, which is what an amazing thing and what a scary thing to not have any idea where it's going to go. But at the same time, I think we all do that every day. We try to get through life without having any idea where it's going to go. Some of us are just better at hiding that fear and saying, I'm okay with whatever happens. I'll be able to handle it. We have developed those skills. But in theater, I kind of appreciate when there's an idea of where we're going to go and what we're going to do. And I'm okay with going off of the script a little bit as long as there's a little bit of a script so we sort of know when the curtain rises and when the curtain goes down. But can you imagine something like Cats, which was on Broadway for more than 7,000 performances? It gets very predictable. And I also know that when you have a production like Cats things go wrong. And at that point, panic sets in because it's become so predictable. It's the same old, same old every day. When something is amiss or goes wrong, there's a big panic. And sometimes it can be a good thing and sometimes a bad thing. For example, the story I heard was Phantom of the Opera when they were doing the original production of it. They had the dress rehearsal and they had all of the media there. And they were, I think it was Michael Crawford, is supposed to drive out or ride out in a rowboat from the side of the stage, turn and come forward down through the fogs and sing this beautiful Softly, gently and sings this beautiful song. He's a very good singer. The problem was that they had been practicing all week and the batteries, the I don't know six car batteries they had in the boat itself hadn't been recharged. And as they got... Halfway onto the stage, the boat died, and I guess the actor had to jump out of the boat and push it so that he could get down front and center and be where the lights are. But at that point, he was so breathless that he he didn't have the breath support to sing, and he was panicking, and so he tried to keep the show going it was like softly, gently, his imagination and He couldn't sing the way he normally does, which is beautifully. And he sung in a very haunting, breathy manner. And that's all the reporters could talk about was how beautiful it was. And I don't know how many productions he was in, but for every production he was in, he had to sing it that way because that's what was expected. And I believe he must have hated it because he's such a great singer. He's very well trained. And to throw that all out the window and to sing that way. But that's what you have to do to keep the show going. You have to take that next step to go forward. You have to push the boat down into the lights so that you can sing. And that happens. I've had that happen in theater for me. We've suddenly gone improv. We didn't intend to. We had a scripted show, and it suddenly went improv. And I remember distinctly, we were doing The Adventures of Peter Pun. Molly Peterson, who passed away in the beginning of the COVID, uh, she saved the production because someone missed a line that kind of unveiled everything told us exactly what was going on and they just sort of forgot to say that and we both came up from where we were hiding and we were supposed to say hey did you just hear that but of course we hadn't heard that i like any good person panicked but molly being the trooper that she was she said hey you know what i heard over in the other area and she revealed what we were supposed to have known by this person who revealed it to us, but they didn't. Molly saved the day in that. That happens at all levels. It happens in, in, I know in theater, we were talking with some people when I was working with the Metropolitan Opera Company, and they said that there was a classic example of that. There was a person who, I guess in the second act, at the end of the second act, she something is wrong and she ends up stabbing herself probably a spurned love or something. She stabs herself, and then the entire third act, she is bleeding to death because she has stabbed herself. The problem was they didn't put the knife out onto the table. And so she had to panic. She had to improvise. She had to make sure the show kept going on. She couldn't yell offstage, knife, and have someone throw a knife on stage. So she started choking herself. And the curtain fell. And so the entire third act, she had to sing all of her beautiful arias while choking herself. Because that's what she had set up. That was the improv that she came up with. And she had to stick with it. And it was incredibly memorable. I'm not certain how you can sing an aria while choking yourself. But this happens at all levels. And that's an important thing to be aware of is that this is happening to everyone. Everyone is having to make this up. Everyone is having to improvise. And some do it better than others. And so that's an important thing, to be able to change, to be able to take what's coming, what people give you. Don't be stuck where you are, because there's going to be change. When I do my training sessions, I'm always talking about Kodak. And Kodak saw that digital film was coming. Kodak had the opportunity, but Kodak said, we're number one in film, that's what we do. And they stayed with film. The problem was, we all wanted digital. All of the consumers wanted digital. So we all went with digital. And the really embarrassing thing about that is, When Kodak filed for bankruptcy, I'm sure no one had to point out to them that the people who invented digital photography were the engineers at Kodak, but they just couldn't get out of the rut of this is what we do. Same thing over and over again. You have to be able to take that step forward. You have to be able to take what someone offers you and say, yes, that's great. And let's see how we can improve that and how we can make that better. We'll talk a little bit about yes and and improvisation with David Russell. Stick around. Thanks for listening to the Collecting Confidence podcast. It's my belief that everyone has experience with confidence, and we either have the trophies or the scars to show for it. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe and leave a review or maybe share this with a friend who needs to hear this. If you have suggestions for the show, topics you want covered, or questions you'd like answered, or if you just want to shoot me a line, you can go to the Collecting Confidence Facebook page or contact me directly at collectingconfidence at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you and I'd love to help you. Now let's go collect confidence. It's no surprise that my next guest was voted both funniest and best actor in his high school as he's gone on to perform and direct in many theatrical productions, and for more than 30 years has been a coach and instructor for improv, And is the founder and president of the 230-seat Comedy Improv Theater SAC Comedy Lab in downtown Orlando, Florida. It's my honor to have David Russell joining me today. Welcome, David.
1: Well, thank you very much. It's great to be here, John. One slight correction, or I'll get in trouble with all my mates, is that I am one of the founders of the one of the founders. Yes.
0: Excellent. Yeah, That's good were, enough. Since you're the only one here, we'll make you the founder. Have that, some confidence.
1: somebody might listen to this podcast. <laughs> and, and how then, many,
0: uh, let's go back to how many people were on that group that you started well, with. The,
1: the founding members were probably between eight and 10. And this is both the people who were performing. And then there were also some kind of administrative or backstage uh, okay. theatrical uh, people as well. So I would say a group of eight to 15 really kind of got the ball rolling on that. But this group had already come together from a lot of work at uh, Walt Disney World, which I'm sure you'll talk about a little bit bit as we continue on in this in Epcot Center but our roots are Right there, right at our home right. in Minnesota. I'm from Minnesota. We went to high school together.
0: Yes, yes. Had a great time. Yeah, uh, We were in theater together.
1: That's right. And I was
0: yeah. I was uh, looking through the yearbook and saw that you and I were both in the lottery. And I see that you've gone on to do a lot of theater since then. And I'm kind of curious on what the progression was like for you, the collecting confidence, because <laughs> you and I both were sort of of that class clown mix. And yeah, yeah. we didn't really mind being... The center of attention. But how did you go to collecting that conference? How did that start for you? Or how did it progress for you?
1: Well, I grew up as a wholly inconfident nerd. I don't know what your progression, you know, I heard you say, kind of class clown, and I, and I was voted funniest, which I was really happy about. But I always wondered, it's like, I, how is it that somebody, a scared little kid like I am, I was always a short guy, and it's like kind of always not feeling like I fit in. How is it that I can end up doing that? Well, that's the magic of, of theater and, and of acting, because many actors kind of are able to put on additional personas because they're quite shy in their introverted life. So that, that was my story. I would just try to make people laugh. I'd try to be funny. That's how I would be liked. I really didn't have any sport abilities <laughs> You know, I was was strong or agile or, or any of that stuff. It was just making people laugh. And I always knew that I could make my way, get ahead, and a lot of times get out of trouble <laughs> if I can make people laugh a little bit. It just became a part of my persona. Confidence can build even if you're not a wholly talented in this way or another way. You find the talent that suits you. And being funny and performing was a talent that suited me. Mm-hmm in high school we had
0: scripts and we went by the book most of the time but how when you made that move to go to improv how did that work for you why did you decide oh let's just make it up as we go along because i know that we do that in real life our every day is improv for all of us but how did you decide here's how i want to do this
1: i had actually been introduced to improv in like my seventh or eighth grade year i was actually went. i remember sketchy memories of all my childhood. But I went, we went to another school. It was me and about five or six other students from my school. We went to this other school where there were three or four theatrical programs that you could choose. And I chose an improv workshop or group. And what we did in this workshop is we created a play from nothing. And then at the end of the the time of this class, you know, we'd go there once or twice a week for four weeks or so. We would perform this piece. So I was introduced to that. And I just, There was something I just loved about you could just kind of make it up as you go along and you kind of know the things you want to do and know where you want to go. And so that's great. I've always loved stand up comedy, but I never really kind of fit into that mold of being able to refine a a routine. And first got to have the funny material and then you have to present it in a funny way time after time. And so my trouble was coming up with that funny material or having (laughs) somebody come up with me. But um, I did realize and and learn that. You can still be funny, even if you go kind of off the cuff. And that went away for a while. And then we did all the theater shows. And those are all scripted. Sometimes you use a little bit of improv in your rehearsal process. Sometimes not. But then when I got to college, I actually went to the Minnesota Renaissance Festival with a performing troupe from my college. And we did a small scripted piece. It was a classical piece and we were at the bakery stage. It was like a a big stage. It was a classic stage. And it was a very theatrical thing that we did. We were invited to the festival and we were doing it. And it was awful because people aren't at the Minnesota Renaissance Festival to see a play. And we're trying to do these scenes from the play. I just started infusing these yucking it up things, you know, putting things uh, in there. There was this uh, one part in the show where uh, I would try to get the, the audience riled up and somehow I went in the back and there was a big tree and I broke some branches off it and I brought all these branches with with leaves in them and I gave them to different guys in the audience and I'd be like, come on, everybody, raise your plants, raise your plants. Don't get caught with your plants down, guys, come on. And just making up things and people laughed. And so uh-huh. I was like, hey, you know what? We can just make up kind of new things. So then I created a show with a, a friend of mine that I met in college and we did a stunt fighting show at Renaissance festivals for several years. But again, it was all, you know, we made it up improvisationally and there was a lot of improv involved in it because if something would happen, we'd like to play off that moment and keep it live, keep it real. There's a, a group, very fam- famous and familiar group at Renaissance festivals called SAC Theater. And I had seen SAC Theater several years before I performed at the festival. And now I was kind of, with with them they were another uh, performing group in in the festival just a great show and I'll probably talk about more about that because I became a SAC theater person and for about five years in um, I joined the SAC theater through a terrible lost love story background for that. <laughs> but the good part of it is, uh, here I am, I'm performing a SAC Theater. And at this time, SAC was branching out from many festivals to performing at uh, Walt Disney World and at Cut Center. So SAC did a show, a quote-unquote scripted show. Quick example, you know, SAC would do Romeo and Juliet, but not the you know, 3 hour version that Shakespeare would do like at the <laughs> festival it's like nobody wants to see that but they re- rewrote it or they condensed it down basically uh, it's to about 30 minutes so just they kept uh, took out everything except the kissing and the killing all the fun stuff and uh, that's what they did the true signature of sack was that the the people playing the parts of the show Came from the audience. Ah. So we would narrate the show and and talk about the Romeo who came from this family over here. And and look, here he is. And we put a cape (laughs) on some guy, actually, a a senior citizen. We would use a senior citizen for both Romeo and Juliet because they were much less inhibited than actual Mm -hmm. 13, 14, 15 year olds would have been. Uh Uh, And it was just a joy. So we had a scripted show. And part of the deal was that we kind of offer you what we suggest you do. And then you either do that wonderfully, you do that awfully or you make up something else and do that and whatever it is we'll play off of it so we're constantly playing off the audience that's when my true joy of improv started really to unfold i just love improv because it's so fun to be able to think of things some people are so scared of improv and it's just i i can't explain it i'm scared of Other things that I see people doing, is like, I can't imagine doing that. And they look at what I do and they can't imagine doing it. And I can't imagine not doing it. It just seems so it flows so freely and is so fun. But I just love the idea of all that you can do with improv. Well,
0: there's a certain amount of fear that comes with I might miss this line, I might say the wrong thing. Whereas with improv. It's harder to say the wrong thing.
1: Well, that's true. But you'd be surprised the amount of fear that goes along with, what if I can't think of anything to right. say? <laughs> that's what we have to learn to overcome. That's the challenge of becoming a successful improviser and learning the ways that you can and need to work with one another in order to create something to move forward. Mm-hmm. So many things in our world, as we've learned as we go through life, work against that, kind of work against working with each other and for each other's good. I don't know, you know, kind of when it happened in the course of generations, but the kind of the eighties and nineties really became all, all about self, you know, get my, you know, I want to, uh, what can I do? And I'm charging forward, And I got to be rich and I got to be famous and I got to do this. And that's carried on where it's uh, quite self-oriented. That's tough in improv. Cause if you're mm-hmm. self-oriented, you're not going to probably do well in improv. You might do well. You might look good, you don't look good on the team. <laughs> so right. A great example of this in, is, is Robin Williams uh, was such a difficult person to improvise with because just look at him go, him go, go. He needs to do that. And that's what he did and what he should do. He shouldn't kind of wait around to help others come up because he's on the go all the time. Right. And, but it was difficult for him to come in and improvise with groups because everybody's like, oh, he's a comedian. Improvisers are comedians. Not really. Some are, some some aren't. Many are, are actors, and, and that really helps them in their improvising. But he found a team, a group that he could improvise with, that he could run with. Billy Crystal, Whoopi Goldberg, you know, when he was in, in with that group. Now he could really run and go with that. And there were a couple others that were able to kind of the upper echelon of stuff. But boy, if you if, if he came to your improv uh, group and uh, ended up popping on the stage, which he did from time to time with groups in L.A. and, and Chicago and stuff, it was a madhouse. And nobody could keep <laughs> up with him. You just couldn't keep <laughs> up with him and you shouldn't i mean that's that's his thing he's great at what he did
0: yeah he was a lot of fun well i I, I do want to get to the start of the theater and i also want to get to your performances in vegas and all the other stuff that you've done but i want to just get some basics here with confidence and what is your definition of confidence
1: oh a definition of confidence well i would venture to say submit for your approval i think that confidence is a byproduct. So to define it, it is the ability to be built up inside yourself that helps you move forward. But I believe it's a byproduct of several elements that help you do that. First and foremost is talent. You know, if you've got the talent and you're showcasing the talent, confidence is going to breed in you. Confidence is going to build in you. And that's great. And that's something that just exudes out of you. But there are other ways to kind of build that confidence as well. And probably the most relevant and important one is the advocacy of others, people complimenting you will build confidence. People encouraging you, "Uh, good job, you did that just right. I love what you're doing with that. I love the choices you're making. Those build confidence. They pump you up and make you feel like I am good somebody. The opposite of that is I am bad somebody. I think one of the terms you use is collecting confidence. And it's like, I love that. It's like, it's like a fund, you know, a a trust fund where uh, there's little tokens like Mario Brothers games, where you kind of collect these little tokens and you're kind of building up your confidence fund. And it's like, yeah, I'm feeling, I'm puffed up and it's coming from different ways. You know, things I'm doing, things people are saying to me, things are going well. And then, oh, something didn't go so well. Oop, lose a couple of tokens there, chip, <laughs> chip it away at that. And so this fund can shrink down. The trouble is for us, if it shrinks down too much, that we just don't kind of have enough to get moving forward in the way that we need to. I love thinking about ways of kind of continually pumping new energy into this fund so that you can do it. Sometimes it's, you know, it's like, you can't just say, well, I'm just going to be better at that. <laughs> it's like, I'm going to be like Mike. I'm going to be Michael Jordan. It's like, no, you, you can't really do that. Our talents are our talents. Now we can enhance our talents a little bit through practice and study in other things. So I'm not saying that, but there's something to be said for some natural abilities. Now performing and making people laugh is really a natural ability of mine. I didn't wake up one day and said, I'm going to do that. It just started happening. And so then I embrace it. And then I kind of move into that fold.
0: Yes. And that's a great way to build your chips up is to go into an area that you're good at. Do, yeah. Have you seen people that are in improv and you don't have to name names here, but that maybe shouldn't have been in improv?
1: All the time.
0: Out of their league. How do, you, how do you deal with that? How do you help them? I know you you also, you've been coaching people. Yeah. And yeah. so tell me about that. How How do you instill... Or help build chips up into their bank, so that they collect confidence as they're doing it. Even
1: though they're not doing it, yeah. great. I'm going to just back up and say, you know what? I, I see that all the time. People who shouldn't be in nobody should not be in improv. Um, improv is such a, a grand thing. I think everybody should be in improv because the lessons, the life lessons that improv teaches us, and the skills and techniques that we learn and absorb in our bodies, minds, and spirits that come through improv are, in my opinion, irrefutable. In the world and completely wonderful for anybody's bag of tools you know the the stuff that you do and are able to do improv is a great way to do that so there are some people who want to perform improv who maybe kind of don't quite have the skills to really be good at it but i don't want to discourage anybody from doing improv i want to encourage it's like maybe you can can still do it so it's a tough thing and we have to make some tough choices when people say why can't i be on your stage Say you're you're not at the the level where we need right now. But I if you can, that's a, that's a I took a lot of chips out of your confidence uh, fun there. But if I can encourage you, say I don't want you to give up. I don't. I want you to keep doing it. With our improvisers, I use sports analogies a good bit, and for me because I love to watch basketball. Basketball is a great analogy for improvisers. To have a professional improv team, a professional. Um, basketball team, generally they bring in marquee players. And then there's people who are really good just fitting in. They're not the marquee player. And then there's people that ride the bench. It's the same in improv. You may not be the marquee performer, but you could still be working, but you could be a, a utility player. You can add some things in different ways. And if you don't fit on the SAC team and you want to go to another te- you should maybe consider go to another team or, or create your own team. It takes a lot of continuing to build your skills and also understanding that if it doesn't work here, that doesn't mean it doesn't work at all. So there are some people that you just want to look at and say, "Um, I just don't find you funny. You're just not funny. I don't have the exact answer for those. But to suggest, keep working at it. Find your niche. Not every improviser has to be hilariously funny. There are some other improv skills. That's another way to just build up your confidence fund in a different way.
0: And there are people that will not perform at all. I've got a brother who's a little bit more shy than the rest of the family. The rest of us seem to be theater arts majors. (laughs) But there are some people that understand that that's where they're supposed to be. I'm supposed to be in the audience watching. How do you work on getting confidence to people? Maybe not enough that they can come up on stage, but how how does a person build their confidence up so they can present at work or talk in public or in social settings? How can they build that up?
1: Yeah. Well, I do a lot of work with that because with our improv theater, we have opened an improv school, Sac University, where people can learn and study the art of improv. And many of them work through our classes and our series of classes because they want to get on stage and perform. But a lot of people are in our classes for many of the reasons that you just mentioned. Uh, we get lawyers who uh, I want to be more confident just kind of being out in in front of people. We have uh, nurses and, and doctors who I just want to learn to connect more with the patients. And improv is a connection tool. That's all improv is. It's making the right connections at the right time and then spewing out from those connections. Real estate people and other salespeople who are constantly overcoming objections and new objections. How can I work through that? Well, improvisers have unique ability to do all those things because in order to do what we do and make scenes from nothing, we have to learn and devise and perfect some skills and techniques and philosophies to be able to to do that. That's where I start with people. Anybody can be an an improviser. You know, a lot of people, I'll even ask this question in my workshops. uh, Raise your hand if you're an improviser. And with our corporate audiences, maybe one or two raise their hand. It's like, well, let me ask a different question. Uh, How many of you have ever had a conversation in your life? ever anyone and now everybody's raising it's like you're an improviser all you might be saying is that you're not an on-stage improviser but you're an improviser and so these skills tools and philosophies and techniques can be beneficial to you as well in whatever you're doing improv helps build confidence in a very unique way because we don't know what's going to come we don't know if it's going to work we don't even know what it is we don't even know if we can find it We have to try a new form of confidence that is taught. And that is, I want to teach you to be confident that whatever comes up, whatever comes out, you can make something of it. That's what improvising is. You know, if you give an engineer uh, a bunch of stuff and say, make something, a feat of engineering with this, they have to look at what they have and make some choices. And using their engineer skills, they have to make something. All these cooking shows uh, that you see on TV are like that. Here's the ingredients. Now you use your skill, but you have to make it up as you go along. You have to make some connections and put things, things together. So they know that's like, whatever you give me, chances are I'll be able to make something. I'll be able to bake something out of that.
0: And would it be safe to say that even the people who are really good, who are on stage, still have a little bit of angst, still have a little bit of fear inside of them that they might look confident? What, what can you tell us about that?
1: Well, I will definitely say yes to that. And I'm one of them. I am the one. I am uh, perfect on that. Uh, look at most of your high profile stars. They have a lot of anxiety about what they do, how they look how they perform in very varying levels. It's a constant challenge to because there's always something or someone trying to eat away at your confidence. You're always on. You're always performing, whether I'm on stage in a show or whether you go to your 9-5 job and work behind a desk. You're always performing and somebody's always checking your performance. If you're doing too well, other people around are going to go, that's, he's not all that. And then they'll They'll bring stuff up about you that's either true or not true to chip away at that. So we just have to work with that uh, through our entire lives. But improvisers really have some great skills and techniques of how to work around a lot of those ploys or thing, dynamics that are going on around them that are keeping them from moving forward. So we're not going to have a life of no distress, no anxiety, but there are ways that you can help work through that. But I'm, I'm a classic I- example of uh, highly anxious, highly stressed, highly worried and
0: the the things that we do in life, a lot of them are judged by external whether it's a sporting event, who wore it best, you know there's always somebody willing to comment about right. what's going on, but we also do a lot of self judging and those inner voices, not even someone saying something, just "I think this makes me look bad I yeah. think." What do we do about that? How, is there a way to curb that? Is there a way to ignore that or move past it or give yourself a different script for your
1: internal voices? No, you're just sunk. <laughs> um, so uh, you, uh, you have touched on, um, it, is, it is the most powerful inhibitor to moving forward is yourself, self-doubt, self-loathing, self-hatred, self-worry, uh, all these things. But uh, there's good news and bad news uh, about it. The bad news is that it's actually more powerful Tool against you than those things coming at you externally. But the good news is that you have much more control over it than you do mm-hmm. over these external things. So one has to attend to themselves in those ways to find out. From my improv uh, background there, it includes soothing your mind and your spirit, as well as making sure your chops are up on your skill a lot of the improv exercises that you'll do in classes and people do in classes for many years continue to hone those skills. And I still do that today. Some of the very um, foundational things I worked on as skills for um, improv I still do before I go and do a show today because even today that can happen to me. I could be my own worst enemy, uh, but you can also learn to be your own best friend. You're always going to have that where you're chipping away. You have to find a way around that to build that confidence. What's going to build my confidence? If I've got the talent and I'm showcasing the talent, that's good. I already talked about um like the advocacy of others or or luck, you know. If you fall into the to the right thing at the right time, it's like I'm feeling good. Things are things are working well for me. You can also schmooze your way into it and promote yourself. It's it's like even if it's not really good, you make it sound like it's really good. Does it sound like anybody in our world? (laughs) Um, uh, And it works for you. I mean, that really builds your confidence. And then the other one is just perseverance. You know, I've I've got a couple of uh, several people that that I know of. It's like they just keep keep going at it and keep making it. Every time they get knocked down. I'm actually in this, in this category, too. It's like you get knocked down. It's like you have the wherewithal to get back up again. Mm-hmm. And you can actually do well with talent and performance and just a touch of luck. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be a salesperson. You don't have to be the schmooze guy. You don't have to be the self-promoter, self-marketer, influencer kind of person. So you it could happen. It. It's not it's impossible. Exactly. Impossible exactly. is not a word, right? Impossible is not a word. I like that segue. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't you write a book, in fact, about that? in fact uh, i actually called it impossible is not a word even well, though it's a word tell um, us about I have, it i have stricken this word from my vocabulary uh, i have taken impossible out of it in fact you know impossible if you just change the um uh, punctuation it's actually i'm possible i think uh, um i think catherine hepburn said that many many years ago uh, it's not impossible it means i'm possible it's like that is very cool <laughs> so that is just It's just a bat that keeps whipping about at your head every time somebody tells you something is is impossible. Now, I don't believe that to be true. I believe that everything is possible. Some things may not have reached their possible reality. I'll go along with that. Some things may be inhibited uh, incredulously from getting to their possible reality. And some things are, you know, that's impossible. Or uh, people, you know, making those impossible basketball shots. But it is possible. That Mm -hmm. doesn't mean there aren't some things that have to happen. So what we want is to talk about the possibilities. I think everything has a possibility. A lot of things that seem impossible just have an inhibitor laid out in front of you that you can't navigate in or around or through. But -hmm. what if you could? What if you could find a way to navigate in or around it, or my favorite is, is through it, you know, go through the storm, through the darkness to get to where you want to be. It's possible to take that chance. So this book, this started as kind of a, an improv philosophy called it quantum improv. There's a science to improvisation. And so then this reaches your whole life to your vision in life. There's a quantum protocol for you to get to where you want to be. And that is basically to look to move forward at all times. Newton's got these laws of motion, and one of them is an object at rest tends to stay at rest mm-hmm. unless or and until a force is put upon it. It's like, well, this is talking about the anatomy of, a, of an improv scene. Two actors are standing on the stage. There's nothing there, uh, but it's not nothing. It's actually got something that science has discovered, potential energy. It's, there's a lot of potential there. We actually use the same terms in our life. It got a lot of potential behind that. What we want to do is we want to transform that energy into kinetic energy which means we want to move forward. So something has to happen with those two people standing on the stage. One or the other, or the improviser, needs to make an offer, put something out there. That's the energy that goes along with it. Now, you had said yes and before. That's the classic rule for improv. We want to say yes to it. If you say to me, Dr. Thorndike, welcome to the emergency room. And uh, you've made an offer and you, oh, good, you got our scene rolling. So if I respond with, I'm not a doctor and this isn't a hospital, we call that blocking. I have said no to the offer you've made and erased everything. Well, if you think about moving forward, it's like you actually started us moving forward and then I totally stopped us, blocked us. Now we're back where we were from the beginning. Nothing but potential or even seems less potential because of this Nimrod uh, Dave with how he's playing the game. So I need to say yes to it. By saying yes, I take it out and then we keep moving forward. Mm -hmm. So there's that yes and. And now I want to say and because uh, you made an offer, I accept it. You could make another offer and I accept it. And that's good because we're moving forward. You're making all the offers and I'm doing all the accepting. I'm not inhibiting us from moving forward. But what's truly magical in life, in improv, and in relationships is you make an offer, I accept. Then I make the next offer and you accept. And together we're co-creating, co-finding, co-founding. Uh, what can be, co-discovering what is out there. And that's, the, that's really true for relationships as well. That's how relationships start and build. People sometimes are shy to make that offer. And then people are hesitant a lot of times to go ahead and accept it. Don't be afraid to accept it. There's fear. It's fear-based why we're not accepting. And then most important, and that's what I call tending to your garden, attending. We have an offer and then we accept and then we attend to it. Now you've got to make the offer. I have to play my part in this relationship. I have to play my part in this scene. When you talked about self-stuff, I have to attend myself. I have to say yes to myself. and I'm saying no to myself all the time. I'm one of those elements that is inhibiting my forward progression. So now I'm always proceeding forward. What I suggest in the quantum vision, quantum improv and quantum vision is there's always something you can do. There's always a choice you can make. I can't think of anything. It's like, that's not true. <laughs> you just haven't practiced enough being able to tap into the wellspring of possibilities that are there with you. So a lot of my work with improvisers is just playing in that playground of that wellspring of everything that you have, which is everything you've experienced, everything you've seen, everything you've read, everything you've felt, everything you imagine could happen. You're just selling yourself way short if you say, I couldn't think of anything. I couldn't tap into anything at that moment. It's like, okay, well, that's different because that I can work on with you and we can get that taken care of in an hour. And the same thing with our vision stuff. If people are kind of stifled, it's like, I'm not moving forward. It's like, let's look at something. What's keeping you from moving forward? Oh well, this is happening. Okay. Well, is there any way you can overcome that? Well, to overcome that, I'll have to do this. And so, okay. Well, that makes sense. And can you do that? No, I'll have to do this. Uh, So, oh well, you can you do that? Yeah, I could do that. Really? We'll do that. Let's get out there and do that. You can do that today. You're looking at the big plan of stuff, and it's overwhelming. But when you wheel it down to something. Now you're doing something. Go do that. Make that choice. Throw that offer out there. However small it seems, we're not looking for you to create the whole scene and the whole story. You just need to get the next step. You need to keep moving forward. Keep Mm -hmm. moving forward. Find a thing. If anything is stopping you, find a way in or around it. And then we also teach ways. Here's techniques to find those other things, those other ways. There's nothing stopping you.
0: I think it's really interesting how improv works because they set up a culture of yes and, and it does move things forward. Whereas in the business world, we shoot people down because they have an idea that we think is wrong or the supervisor thinks it's wrong and that stifles you. And then you don't want to because you've been blocked so many times that you're stifled. And I think that even goes back to parenting. When you say, I want to take dance classes or I want to play the saxophone or whatever. And your parents go, no, you don't want to. And you're stifled by them. So I do think we have to watch the external sources that are blocking us when we're trying to move forward and figure out ways to continue to move forward.
1: Yeah, I have used these improv skills in my parenting with my kids. And I at a conscious moment where I had to say, I want to say yes more. It's like it's like when I just said no to that. But I mean, what would happen if I said yes, it really it wouldn't be an awful thing. So why not? And so I've started saying yes more to that. And then that blossoms into my other relationships as well. And that's a way to break out of that. You got to recognize that, you know, at some point you have to take a step forward. Even to get out of the muck that you're in, out of the stuck that you're, you're in, if you're feeling that way, you have to do it. So let's
0: go back to you were a traveling vagabond doing stand up and decided that you wanted to
1: stand up. I'm not a stand up
0: or not stand up doing uh, improv and, and decided you wanted to drop anchor and establish a theater with some of your friends. Is that about how
1: it went? Oh, of course not. That would be that would be a simple, logical way to go about life, John. I was living in Minnesota. SAC Theater had was already starting to work at Epcot Center in 1982. And this is about 1983. My partner, who I was doing stunt shows with, graduated a year ahead of me and he had gone to work with SAC. SAC went to work at Epcot. And so they needed other people to do the road. So that was my friend, Gary. He was doing the road shows. And then for a year, it's like, I would maybe go on the road and I we'd do our little stunt fighting act. And then he'd do the the sack show. In all that, I graduated from uh, Augsburg College and I'm going to go to law school. I'm going to go to the University of Minnesota Law School. What? <laughs> I get into law school. I have a very bad breakup with a girl and I am just sunk emotionally in law school. I It's not going well. So I'm having to back out of law school. Then Gary says, hey, you know what? SAC is uh, hiring more people. They're actually increasing the amount of people working at Epcot and also some more road stuff. Why don't you just come down and work for a couple of months and get your mind off it?
0: Good idea, dear. I'm going to do that.
1: So I drive my uh, Mustang 2 down to Florida. I just, I auditioned with SAC and I got in. And so I started doing some things and working at Epcot and stuff. Uh, this is 82 to 89. I was working at uh, Walt Disney World with SAC. We were having a great time doing this improv theater. We'd travel some, doing shows at Renaissance fairs and festivals as well. And then in 1989, Disney didn't renew the SAC contract. They'd always wanted to absorb SAC and have SAC be a Disney thing. But it's like, no, it's our thing. We don't want to do that. So um, we're we're going to pass on your offer. We're, we actually denied their offer. I can't believe that we did <laughs> after I'm talking about it. So we did not accept their offer. And so they fired us. Uh, and so here we are. So we don't have that troupe anymore. Two months later, a very similar troupe is performing at Disney, That our Disney employees. Go figure. Uh, So here we are twiddling our thumbs. What are we going to do? What do we want to do? We've always wanted to open a live theater. And so we said yes to our own time and our own dynamic there. Let's open a theater, an improv theater. And so that's why and how we did it. That's how we started to do it. It was out of the necessity of unemployment that uh, many great decisions for moving Mm -hmm. forward are made. And ours was uh, an example of that. That was 1991. For a a while, after about five years of that, myself and a number of the other kind of founding members uh, had the idea we wanted to be like kids in the hall. So we moved out to L.A. to do some performing and stuff. And we did a lot of performing, but everybody was really kind of getting into their own individual careers through acting and and other things uh, going on with that. Also, when we opened the theater, one of the. People who got their start at SAC, and a lot of people don't know this, is Wayne Brady was actually from Orlando and he actually got his improv start at SAC Comedy Lab. So he, you know, once we moved to LA and he was already in LA, he was actually ahead of people going to LA. And then the connection came for him to audition for Whose Line Is It Anyway. That was a little bit of right timing, right place, because he'd auditioned for Whose Line before. Uh, several of us had. It hadn't happened. But his uh, skill and prowess in musical improv really kind of grew in those years in between and he's, top-notch, unbeatable in that. So they hired him for that show, and then his star just shot right up. He signed a development deal within like three months of of getting on on that show and doing that. So you mentioned when I did a, a show in Vegas, I actually got to do a couple of shows with Wayne when he would go on the road. And so he would go to Vegas and play in the showrooms, and he would usually have one or two other improvisers with him. One of the main ones who was actually one of the founders of SAC as well, Jonathan Mangum, was kind of his staple guy. And if you see, Let's Make a Deal right now, Wayne is the host of that, and Jonathan is the announcer. So they're <laughs> continuing to work together. And then they do a lot of uh, road shows as well as, as they each have their own other things as well, but they'll do road shows. But uh, sometimes I'd either uh, hop in with uh, he and Jonathan, or if Jonathan couldn't be there for some reason because he had another thing, um, I could hop in on some of those as well. So just performing two man improv with Wayne Brady in a showroom in Vegas where <laughs> people are treating him like Tom Brady, you know, as far as the improv world is going. And he's the kingpin out there, not only. Uh, not only is he a great improviser, he's a, a vocalist, a musician, a singer, a dancer movement. And so his show is not just improv. I mean, it's it's quite a an entertainment extravaganza. But we like to boast that Wayne got his start at the SAC comedy. He seems,
0: he seems like a nice guy. So that's got to boost your confidence when you're able to perform like that.
1: Have you ever had a time
0: when things went horribly wrong while you were on stage?
1: Of course. Yes, yes. (laughs) Lots of them. Some of them, there's no coming out of. There's no kind of looking back and going, well, at least we can say, no, it was just bad. So we just let it go. We let it slide. And that's a chip. You know, if you do a show and you get a bad review, that's a chip off the actor's uh, block. It's like a, review at your work but this one is put out in public and people see your name and whatever the person thought of you or your performance and this kind of stuff happens all the time now with you're talking about people being critical of other people it's like with social media it's like no matter what the show is every award show people are just slamming 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 it's like everybody this way and that and it's like oh my god there's just so much Criticism and critical thinking going on. You got to wear it. You got to just take it in. I'm not going to say it's even fun or it's it's awful. Mm-hmm. But uh, again, in improv, I've learned that I've to have the confidence that whatever comes up, I can make something of it. Except that one time. You know, <laughs> it's going to happen that one time, and then I don't care about that. I don't worry about that. It takes me a while to get over that. But you just need some other things to recharge you back up in other ways everybody's got that, where they've got setbacks, fallbacks, failures, along with the victories. So in an improv scene, we embrace failure. That's a unique philosophy that we teach even our corporate clients and stuff. And they're like, what? What? That doesn't make sense. Does that compute? And we're not saying we love failure. We're not saying we try for failure. We're just saying we embrace failure. And failure is not going to cause bigger rifts for us than it needs to. In fact, without failure, we can't see the successes that we have. And so we look to inventors for all of this. Thomas Edison quotes saying, I did not fail 10,000 times. I only found 10,000 ways that don't work. Right, And that's, so, but uh, most inventors are abject failures, failure, fail, failure, failure after, after failure. So we have to be able to embrace that and get through it. Now, when we're doing a show, if there's failure in a scene at some point, it's okay that's what drama does that's what it gives you it gives you the the, the the ups and the and the downs so that's why sporting events are so fun because it's like we get the failure and then we get the the, the victory nobody wants to end in failure so when you lose the game or lose the super bowl that's really bad but there's always the next game. And so it's the same thing in our scene. So we embrace failure, but nobody would be happy if we had failures all the time. You know, no improvisers happy about that. It's not like we're looking to do that and we have a show that was all failure. We go, yeah, we're good. Uh, you know, we don't, we don't, we recognize that. But we also find that as we continue on and are building this confidence fund, um, the chances of ending in failure become less and less. Mm -hmm. Um, and if we end in failure, it's all in the bigger picture competition of, you know, if we're competing against another team, uh, it's like that. But in terms of how I did and how our scene was, uh, we don't mind if it tanks, you know, once, maybe twice in a show, but we don't want it to tank, you know, 50, 60 times. And I've seen shows like that. Those are the people you were talking about before. Is going, hey, let's take a different approach.
0: Sometimes one bad Yelp review can just ruin a restaurant and you get that yeah. one bad comment from someone and it can ruin your desire to be a singer or desire to be in theater or whatever. Yeah. And so, so sometimes, especially with social media and the way things are, we actually set people up for failure. In fact, if you're a basketball lover and you like March Madness, 63 of those teams are going to end, the seniors yeah. will end their career with a loss. Yeah, and only one of the teams will end their the the seniors will end their career with a a win so it is something where in society we we like the winners but there can't be winners unless there are losers and so it is i think important not to take the losses so seriously yeah and
1: and again i mean every even it's hard to take loss after loss after loss i mean that's hard on your confidence meter Mm -hmm. if we have a a non-winning a season where we didn't win a game uh that's i mean that's that's a tough season you got to just kind of buck up and bear it and somehow look for other lessons or something else. And you just got to go out and you got to play again. You got to play next week or next year. We just hope that the victories kind of play into it as well. And this, the SAC University classes that
0: you're teaching right now, are those for corporate? Are those for individuals? What are those for?
1: The SAC University is more for the individuals. And then we also have SAC corporate training where we'll go into, that's where most of my work happens. And I really enjoy because these are people with a lot of times, less ideas about improv than even the people taking the classes. They might not necessarily want to be on stage, but they know about improv and classes, and they know about SAT. Some of the people with a lot of corporate groups we go and we invite them into the theater a lot of times and have it there. We'll come to them and I say, uh, "How many of you have ever been to the SAT Comedy Lab?" And you know, four or five raised their hand out of uh, forty to two hundred. And you know what that tells me? We have to work on our marketing. But uh, they don't know anything about what improv is or or, so everything I have to share with them is going to be new and unique. And I kind of actually like that. I like bringing them along that journey and kind of shaking up some things that they know. It's like, we have to, we have to be critical. It's important to be critical about everything. It's like, is it? (laughs) Uh, And you know, what if uh, we aren't for a while? There's a time where we have to be critical about it, but is that time right After the idea is spewed out, is that really helping us? Let's take a look at a scenario where we don't do that. We do something else instead and see what kind of traction we can get. And I think you'll find, you know, usually we find in these workshops that we got farther along so that when it's time to get critical, we're left with better ideas than we would have had with that constant not going there, not doing that, no. And it also helps people just working together more, just being able to to say yes and to get along to build a relationship with someone, a successful, fulfilling relationship. A relationship where one is the alpha and or one is the controller is not a good, successful relationship. It's not a relationship that is going to be fulfilling. Maybe for you, the person in control, because that's how you like life, but that's not good for the world person. Uh, so it's tough to kind of have to make that discovery sometimes, but we're able to. I'm not able to change everybody, but I'm able to change some. You know what? I see what you say with that, and that's <laughs> worth it. Good.
0: On the way out here, do you have one tip for people who are either trying to gain or maintain their confidence?
1: If you can, first and foremost, find a way. To treat yourself well. For me, it's like, what can I do to treat myself well? I enjoy a bowl of Cap'n Crunch peanut butter cereal with chocolate milk. Just every once in a while. Just do something wacky, fun for yourself. And what is it? Is it going to a movie? Is it writing yourself? You know, some people like to write themselves empowering messages and put them on a mirror. Do that if you want to. Some people are averse to that. Make sure to treat yourself well. Because if you're not treating yourself well and celebrating yourself in some way, everybody deserves a celebration for some things. Some people just go so fast that they skip the celebration. And I think that's a mistake as well. Stop. Take the joy of it. Accept the award. Live in the glee and the joy of that. We know we got to get right back up and work tomorrow. But treat yourself well and look for other ways to build your confidence. If you can't do it, if you've built your skills to as much as they can, then Find yourself an advocate, somebody who can be a, a mentor or advocate for you or encourage you. And definitely, I uh, call this minimizers and maximizers. So you're maximizing those who can give you encouragement. Minimize those who are giving you discouragement. That's a tough thing to do. But if they're in your, in your life, you got to find a way to compartmentalize them if you can so they don't affect you as much if you can excise them take them out of the mix if you're in that kind of relationship nobody says you should say yes and to that kind of relationship you should not you should get out of that kind of relationship
0: excellent well thank you very much for sharing thanks for being here today hopefully we can have you on again sometime
1: that'd be great john thank you so much i love the idea of your show and it's uh, great to talk about that that went so fast
0: (laughs) great all right we'll have you back thank you
1: thanks john take care
0: Today's tip for the day is to celebrate yourself. Take the time to let yourself know you're doing a good job. This has been the Collecting Confidence Podcast. Thank you for joining me. I'm John Barrett.